so he was very upset, right? And he was very hard to penetrate. Like, wow, no matter how hard I was so, trying to It sounds so wrong when you say hard to penetrate, <laughs> but yeah. No, so, like, you know what I mean, right? I yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, to get through to him, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, on a relatable level, yeah. it was like, wow, like, I'm really wo- talking to a wall right now. Yeah. Like, this is Andrian. And this is Ray. Welcome to the Talk Lab Podcast. Every two weeks, we'll invite a new guest and in every session, we'll dig into the life, relationships, and perspectives. One question at a time. Let's talk La! Yay. Welcome to the Talk La Podcast. So in this series, we're actually going to cover a lot of different Malaysian local stories. So right now, we're actually recording in our humble home in Malaysia. And I think most importantly, today, as our very first local Malaysian guest in Malaysia, we're going to cover Karini Ko. And just a bit of background on how I met Karini, how I know, and the friendship that we've built. Uh, basically, we know each other from our times in uh, Singapore. We were hustling and really studying very hard in, in Singapore as Malaysian students. And I think the main point that I really wanted to get her on today because she's been working for five years as a speech therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think speech therapy is something that not a lot of people have experienced. It's quite a niche industry, right? So hopefully in this kind of episode, we really want to understand more about speech therapy for those interested listeners or people curious about it. And I think more importantly, you know, your thought process, your mindset behind why you chose and what's your passions along the way throughout this. So it's a lot to cover and it'll be an exciting one. So uh, why not pass the time to you, Karini, to give a quick introduction of yourself and then we can dive deeper into different perspectives. Perspectives, yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so I'm Karini. Um, yeah, as Ray was saying, I am a speech therapist. I previously worked in the UK for a couple of years, and then I recently came back to Malaysia, and I've been practicing here for about a year and a half now. So just very freshly coming back to Malaysia and practicing in a different country. Yeah, so currently I work with both adults and children, but when I was in the UK, I used to work with um, the geriatric population, so like the elderly population. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a bit about me. And yeah. I think um, before going into more details about what you actually do and stuff, can you give a general introduction of what speech therapy, hmm. what what do you do as a speech therapist day to day, day in, day out? What, what do you do? What kind of patients you help? And yeah, just a brief introduction on what yeah. this industry is. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very interesting to talk about this because a lot of people, right, when you tell them that, oh, I'm a speech therapist, the common thing that people say is like, oh, you help people to talk. And then they're like, maybe I need speech therapy. I cannot talk properly or things like that. Or a lot of people also think that, oh, it's just stuttering, for example, because of movies like The King's Speech or, you know, those kind of uh, other movies where people see a speech therapist. But actually a speech therapist does a very varied type of roles and it's a very interesting uh, job profession, well, in my opinion. (laughs) So essentially what a speech therapist does is a speech therapist does all things to do with communication. Uh, and swallowing. So if you think about it, all the muscles in your throat that helps you to speak also uh, are very similar to the muscles that help you to swallow. So that's kind of like what a speech therapist does. We see both very young children. So children from the pediatric side who cannot swallow, cannot speak, right? Or hearing impaired uh, children who cannot speak properly or um, children who have nonverbal communication. So um, special needs like uh, autism or... um, learning disabilities because they cannot access communication that way. Um, So that's the side of pediatrics that we cover. And then 
we go all the way into adulthood, right? So young adults who have traumatic brain injury, for example. So people who had um, accidents or road traffic accidents or skiing accidents where they bump their head and it affects their language skills or their swallowing skills. And then obviously the geriatric population, so neurological conditions, so things like Parkinson's, mm-hmm. motor neuron disease, um, dementia, you know, all of the things that affect your brain or a post-stroke, for example, like if you had a stroke, then it affects your language function, how you speak and how you swallow. So um, depending on the area of the brain that's affected, then how does a speech therapist come into play? So we worked we work with patients to help them rehabilitate where they are, to help them access communication with other people or to help them eat the food that they like uh, and help them swallow, basically, yeah. Wow, okay. So if I'm trying to understand things correctly, mm-hmm. it's actually very, very broad, right? Yeah. Because anything that relates to throat mm-hmm. or like speech, in, in, yes. in simple layman terms, speech, yeah. right? It would basically be part of your job scope. Yes, yes. So with that being said, right? Like it's so broad, broad right? It covers from young children all the way to adults mm-hmm. to old people. Yeah. And it covers from pediatrician, which is kids, to, you know, the neuroscience behind. So that's yeah. like more on the nerve sensing, mm. how you pronounce. So yes. it's really broad. And, you know, five years in this role, is there like a specialization that yeah. you're going to work towards to or planning to work towards to? Yeah. Mm. Where, where are you at right now? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that is a very good question. So basically in Malaysia, it's very interesting because in Malaysia, speech therapists, once you get a degree, you can actually do both populations uh, and find which population you enjoy doing. But actually my experience in the UK is that you do have to pick uh, a specific population and you can specialize by doing extra courses or you know going special uh, especially into a different specific field for example so for me personally I I I I have a passion and I love um, the elderly population. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because of um, the reason is because my grandmother. So actually when uh, I was a young kid, I think I was like nine, my grandmother uh, had para- uh, had a snatched teeth accident. Mm-hmm. So in Malaysia, that's what happens, right? Yeah, like right. people so will... <laughs> I don't mean the cut cranial, but yeah. um, wherever you are in the world, right? I think um, just to give some context, Malaysia is really a really great place, but there are some aspects... Uh, of Malaysia that is still not the best. For example, safety. Mm. Right? So this was like a long time ago. Now yeah. it has significantly improved, so it's a lot safer. Yeah. Yeah. But just to give some context to our listeners out there that okay, Malaysia is actually a very beautiful country. It's a place where down the road I plan to be at as well mm. opportunities. But there are these kind of circumstances. So just giving a broader perspective for our listeners yeah. out there that yeah. wherever you reside in the world, there's always good things and that yeah. Is, yeah. So yeah. Back to Karini's uh, story with the grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely echo what Ray is saying. Yeah. Um. So with my grandmother, when I was nine years old, she experienced something called snatch teeth. So there was somebody on a motorbike uh, who basically snatched her handbag, and then she fell, and it uh damaged her brain. So it damaged the left hemisphere of her brain. So she had to go through a craniectomy, which basically means that uh the surgeon had to cut out parts of her brain so that she can continue functioning because it was so badly damaged. So as a result of that, she lost her speech and she lost her swallowing ability. So she had something called a feeding tube. So um, in Malaysia, they put it through the nose, but there's many different types of feeding tubes actually, um, which I was uh, working with in the UK. But in Malaysia, everyone puts it in the nose. That's that's the most common one. So she had that. um, And it really affected me as a young kid, like seeing my grandmother do that. Um, go through that lah. Yeah, so 
uh, and then I saw her rehabilitate and things like that, but she still couldn't swallow. And uh, yeah, so that started looking into it a little bit more and it kind of like piqued my interest in speech therapy a little bit. So, um, and then after that, I went into volunteering and I was basically helping out uh, with a church group like mm-hmm. where there's uh, a learning disabilities group where all kids around that age uh, that go. Yeah, it's in Malaysia. in Malaysia. Yeah, so I was working out there. Uh, I was volunteering there and then I saw like, okay, like actually there is a very lack of understanding of how to help this population communicate there's a lot of help with like you know their activities of day-to-day life you know how to shower how to do this and that how to get them out and things like that but what is going on in their brains right like how are they accessing the world and how are they actually relating to the world when it's hard for them to verbally communicate or say it that's something that's really lacking uh in our society i would say even across the world not just in malaysia yeah and then uh then that just made my interest grow a little bit more and then when i was in ib with ray right that's when i was like okay actually i think this is the profession that i want to go into um and then i talked to the career counselor about it and i got to speak to a few different speech therapists as well uh and that's what you know solidified it for me lah. yeah essentially yeah, i think it's uh, so just to summarize what what you've just shared i think it's just a really really personal event that mm. has taken place in your life yeah and from that event i think it really sparked that burning desire that, oh, what's more to this that you can do better? Yeah. So I think it's very, very humbling that you kind of follow that intuition, right? When at such a young age with a personal uh, experience that you, you went through and through mm-hmm. your volunteering work and you discovered that it's actually an area that you really, really want to make a change, right? Mm-hmm. So that whether it's old people, whether it's young people, but I think from your experience, it's really more for the elderly. Yeah. You really, really want to help them go through these kind of rehabilitation or process in a less painful manner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, because I can, back in those days in IB, uh, I was still pretty lost, just to give some context. I just knew like, I, I didn't know what degree that I wanted to focus, but uh, knowing Karini, yeah, it sort of sparked to me that, <laughs> wow, okay, Karini already yeah. sort of knew which kind of area she wanted to be. And mm-hmm. it was just really so niche that I, I didn't know what speech therapist was. She had to explain to many people. And that's why I decided, yeah, it might be a good topic to, to cover. Because <laughs> yeah. it's really an untapped industry. Yeah, everyone is like going for doctor, lawyer, the standard mm. status quo, right? But Asian. actually, yeah. <laughs> so I think that was a very, very personal. Thanks, thanks for sharing that story and, mm. you know, going uh, through that. And, and I, I think I just want to end uh, this um, point mm. that actually whether you are uh, struggling to find what you want to do in life, it could be like a very personal experience that really gives you the motivation and passion to go deeper. And the community that you met, especially in the community service, so that sort of fuel you that, oh, Mm. there's actually a lot of gaps and a lot more that you could do. And that led you and sparked your interest to further uh, down. So it could be like a personal experience or it could be, you know, for for my case, I think where I actually found some... uh, interests or passion mm-hmm. is like really by talking to different people mm-hmm. in yeah, the tech industry and that let me like oh okay actually it's a fun industry yeah yeah so that yeah, just different ways that you know life comes at you yeah and you sort of went down that route yeah. so closing that topic yeah i just wanted to ask like okay so that was um how you actually stumbled and why you decided to narrow down so it's really by a personal experience mm-hmm. can you also share like the process because we know that any sort of uh, 
degree or profession, there must be like a very meticulous process, especially for speech therapy, because it's sort of yeah. medically and clinically yeah. trained, right? Yeah. So can you just briefly share <laughs> the process, the challenges? Yeah, but let's start with the process first. Okay. So what's, the, what's the stuff that you went through to become like a, a qualified okay. speech therapist? Yeah. So there, there is a process. Yeah, you're right. Um, so definitely if you are thinking about doing speech therapy or you want to be in the rehabilitation industry, right, for as a speech therapist, I think the subject that you choose at uh, A-levels or IB is quite important um, for your admissions into university, right? So that's even starting right way back in the college years, right? So I particularly enjoy language and linguistics, right? That's something that I actually quite enjoy. I hate math. Right, so I knew I cannot do anything math related. You're um, really good in literature. I mean, like <laughs> just to give some context, like Perini was like a standout literature student. I was struggling with literature because I was like trained as like a yeah, science, memorized stuff. Yeah, but then Perini's like essays always get shared out. I think it's like what Mrs. Wood, right? She yeah, shares like, out. Yeah. Her, her example analysis of certain literature and I'm like wow it's so proud being Malaysian in Singapore and like yeah yeah awesome. but I wasn't the best but yes I do enjoy language and I did enjoy literature so that's definitely one aspect that you do have to enjoy as a speech therapist because you're working so much with language function right and linguistics so that's the process you need to know what your interest is and if your interest lies in language this could be a profession and also if you love helping people it could be a profession that you want to go into or you think about going into um, and then also there's it's quite biology heavy as well mm. so you need to understand anatomy you know physiology some parts of neurology as well because that helps to guide your therapeutic methods um, okay. and evidence base but yeah as you said it's clinical right uh, yeah. but it's not 100% clinical so there's a little bit of experimentation with it mm -hmm. such like many jobs right um, mm -hmm. some things work for certain patients and some don't so you need to be quite creative as well to work with a client or with a patient to see what helps them and helps rehabilitate them. So those are the traits that I think encompasses a speech therapist, essentially. Yeah. And then when you go into university, I think you need to pick uh, a degree that suits you, right? So different university courses for speech therapy actually is very interesting. They focus on different aspects of speech therapy. Like some universities are famous for their research, right? But other universities might be more practical related. So whether you want to be um, clinical based or whether you want to go into the research of like the speech therapy methods or the evidence-based practice, that's something that you can think about as well if you're choosing your university degree if you want to be a speech therapist. And then after you graduate, right, you have to go through something called the Health Professionals Council. That was when I was in the UK. So as a UK graduate, we had to um, apply to be part of the HCPC. And then you um, also be a member of the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists, which is based in London. And then you have to go through an X number of clinical hours uh, as part of your degree. And then you go into uh, working as a speech therapist. So yes, you do have to qualify and the degree is the minimum requirement. But as part of your degree, you do have to do X number of clinical hours before you can actually practice as a speech therapist. Yeah. Mm. You, it's the, de the degree is a requirement, right? It's a yes. must-have. Yes, okay. you can't be a speech therapist without a speech and language therapy degree. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah and I, I like that you brought up, like, okay, because we touched on a bit just now, right? Speech therapy or therapist mm -hmm. is very, very broad, right? And I was going to ask, like, okay, because you did mention it's like language mm -hmm. and also very clinical. Mm -hmm. So to what spectrum, like, you, you did mention there's different areas that you can focus, right? But yeah. I think, like, in general, right, speech therapy, uh, speech therapist um, which where 
where where in the spectrum it is? Is it more yeah. language or is it more clinical? clinical I would say it's clinical, yeah. right? Yeah. Good, good question actually um, but the answer to that question is actually it depends okay. yeah so uh, depends on the client group that you're seeing and it also depends on the condition that they have so for example if I'm seeing a patient that has language deficits right because they are a child so it's a developmental problem it's not acquired by a medical issue then that will be very language based because I'm helping the child access like um, the different semantic relations or how to access um, language verbally or communicatively or writing or things like that so it's very language and linguistics because mm-hmm. I need to know which part of language is difficult but if I'm seeing a patient that is uh, has a medical condition or ha- is a result of brain injury or as a result mm-hmm. of an acquired condition then it's very clinical because then I need to um, look at the doctor's notes then I need to understand like which part of the brain is affected I need to know like which muscle is affected for their swallowing. Then it becomes very uh, medical, if okay. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So actually, yeah, it all depends. It yeah. depends. <laughs> but I think for for your scenario, because uh, yeah. I understand that now you're in the private sector, right? Mm. I can imagine. Is it more on the linguistic side of things that mm. is more common than the clinical side of things? Like, mm. where, how how do you like spend time in terms of your patient's dynamic. Yeah. Obviously, it uh, varies depending on where you are stationed or yeah. which opportunities. Uh, but yeah, maybe right. you can share more from your Yeah. Side. So as a speech therapist, you can actually practice in a hospital or you can practice in a private clinic, right? Like what I'm doing. Um, at the moment, I'm working at a private clinic and we also offer home visits and we also offer hospital visits. So we have links with some doctors who allow us to come into the wards to see the client. But if you're asking about like the percentage of where I lie on the spectrum personally as a speech therapist, I'm I'm the speech therapist that see most of what we call a dysphagia client load. So dysphagia stands for (laughs) swallowing disorders. Very chim. Yeah, it's not really chim lah, but once you know about it, yeah. yeah. Chim, by the way, is like a singlish term, right? Yeah, it's singlish. It's like very fancy. Fancy word, yeah. But dysphagia essentially stands for swallowing disorders. So, yeah, but... uh, yeah, I cannot say like where I where it is because it really depends. You can't be picky. Yeah. And I think like in the private sector, you cannot be picky. <laughs> but for public, you would say that it's actually more clinical, right? No, it depends or on setting depends still. On the, okay, yes, okay. it still depends on the setting. Yeah, okay. but uh, yeah, I, actually, I really would say that it's a very 50-50. Okay. There's some speech therapists that really focus on language and there's some speech therapists that really focus on the medical. Yeah, and at the moment, I'm still kind of doing both. Okay, okay. Yeah. So very broad and still quite generalist across mm. the whole speech therapist kind of knowledge, right? Yeah. So I think that also led, like because being in the clinical field, right, you always have to stay up to date mm. with the latest knowledge, latest findings, or even best practices of teaching yeah. or helping a child or an adult go through the whole rehab process, right? Yeah. So how do you actually balance mm. that? time with your patients and at the same time mm. when you find buckets in your life to actually upskill yourself yeah. be, be relevant yeah I think I think that's a very good question so um, when you're in when I was in the UK it was actually regulated that oh, okay. you have to have X number of continuing practice education uh, hours so that means that uh, if you don't fulfill this number of hours you actually cannot practice as a speech therapist okay. because you're not up to date and you are not um, you know 
upskilling yourself as what you say right but in Malaysia there's actually very poor regulation for speech therapists so what my clinic does actually so we have links to a Singapore clinic so every week we actually have a topic that we're going to talk about one person will lead it one of the speech therapists will lead it and then we will all learn from that person and have a discussion uh, whether it be a new clinical practice uh, strategy or whether it's like some new findings in evidence-based practice um, and also I think just having discussions reading the most up-to-date um, subscribing to like you know the speech therapy related articles and paying for so that you, subscription you a yeah la, yeah so yeah essentially that's what you need to do to be upskilling right malaysia, as you right? say Especially. yes because in malaysia it's, it's very very right? no yeah, so guys if you want to you know have live in a world full of gray areas i think in general <laughs> developing countries as yeah. opposed to developed countries mm. would be the place that you know you will find a lot of setup bellow like yeah. different turns or different <laughs> buckets where you can you know, exploit in some ways. Yeah. Definitely, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's good. And and I forgot like to, to touch on like how long was the process for you to, you know, go through the whole degree mm. and then how long you have to practice, how many hours and then you can yeah. officially practice as an independent uh, speech therapist. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, my degree actually included the clinical hours within the degree. Okay, wow. So I was very lucky in that sense where they incorporate the clinical number of hours and you go for what we call um, your placement, like your mm -hmm. clinical placement. Then you have a senior speech therapist yep. basically guide you and you will see your own caseload and slowly build on your hours there. So once I graduated, I was able to apply for jobs already immediately. But I'm not so sure about how it is like for different uh, countries, degrees right? yeah, in the countries. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the process is not that long for me because once I graduated I had a job already and I just had to apply for my work visa and then I started working in an acute hospital so I was actually in a hospital setting in the okay. UK um, even during COVID I was actually working with something called the home enteral nutrition team so it's all patients that get discharged with a feeding tube and then I was meeting all of these patients outside the community uh, not in the hospital anymore and helping them rehabilitate their swallowing there so it was a very interesting uh, caseload at that time yeah. yeah, and I think um, we're gonna touch, you know, how COVID has changes mm. uh, this whole uh, industry. But I think before that, you know, we've covered, you know, how the whole process, why mm. you step into this industry, you have your passions for it. Um, but I also wanted to touch. I think it would be good to cover, you know, what's some of the great things, the upside, the downsides. Mm. What are some of the challenges that you face mm. being in this industry? What kind of trade-off that you have made? Yeah. yeah. So it could be within your work. Mm. or maybe outside like well there are different opportunities what kind of trade-off that you have to forego just to be in this industry yeah okay uh good let's talk about the upside first because that's always, always fun right yeah i think the upside obviously is the job satisfaction and also your i think the feeling that you're giving back to the community um seeing my patients grow from something that is uh, like they're unable to swallow or they're unable to speak or they're having word finding difficulties they cannot communicate with their family and then getting to know them on a personal level and working with them and their families to rehabilitate them to where they are now that's the most satisfying thing ever right so that's the biggest upside for me and i think just meeting like like what you like to do right Ray, is meeting new people and like making listening to their stories like their life experience like learning new things from them from different cultures and yeah. 
I get to do it on a very personal level because yeah. I'm entering their home. I'm yeah. seeing their loved one, right? Mm. And I learned so much from that experience. Yeah. So I actually want to share one story that I had in the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this was before COVID. Lah. So I was actually seeing this patient. He is, uh, he had a tracheostomy. So it's something that a tracheostomy is basically where you cannot breathe on your own. Okay. And you have to put a hole in uh, where okay. your neck is, okay. right? So you become a neck breather. Mm. So as a result of that, because your hole is here, you're not breathing from your mouth yep. or your nose, you end up cannot speak because you, you, can't, you can't articulate. There's no airflow in the front. Yep. So this patient I was seeing in the hospital, he was very depressed because first you lost your, 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 your ability to speak, right? You cannot swallow as well because yep. you have a hole in your neck. And then secondly, like, you're going through so much, you're in the hospital. Wait, so he's on a liquid diet, right? So he is on a feeding tube. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he cannot swallow at all. So it's a liquid, liquid diet, yeah, right? Liquid. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Liquid. Um. So I went to see this client because oh. I needed to see him for how whether he can start breathing again. So we had to occlude his hole and see mm. if he can breathe, mm -hmm. and also see if he can speak, and okay. also assess his swallowing. Okay. Yeah. So those are a couple of things I was doing. So this patient, he was very very funny. So he was very upset, right? And he was very hard to penetrate. Like ah, oh, no matter how hard I was so, trying it's to. It's also wrong when you say hard to penetrate, <laughs> but yeah. No, like you know what I mean, right? I yeah, yeah I like, like to get through to him, yeah, like yeah, yeah, on a relatable level, yeah. it was like wow, like I'm really talking to a wall right now, yeah. like, and I'm quite a cheerful, bubbly person, yeah. but he was testing me, uh, he was really wow. testing me, um, but something happened during the my assessment which broke a smile from him. So I'm going to share this and it's wow, actually quite okay. funny and embarrassing but I think it's it's a very nice story. Okay. So he he cannot mobilize by himself. So he cannot get out of bed mm. to go to the toilet. Okay. So in the hospitals in the UK, they give you a little bottle for you to pee in okay. too. Okay? So he probably did it before my assessment yep. and he put it on the chair next to his bed. And I was not aware of that. So as I was doing my assessment, I wanted to get down to his level and like be face to face with him. So I sat on the chair and that bottle of pee was there and it like went all <laughs> over me and then he started laughing and and yeah. finally right when he started laughing i managed to do like such a great assessment with him yeah. at the expense of my own embarrassment right yeah. so i had pee all over on, on, on his yeah yeah so is this kind of stories that you cannot make up when yeah. you're a speech yeah. therapist is yeah. something you have to go through like what the yeah. yeah so but um because of my embarrassment like i managed to pen uh, like managed to get through to him and I managed to have a very successful assessment with him, okay, right? And okay. and as a result of that, he became very happy to do rehab with me. Yeah, so I, I feel like these yeah. kind of stories, like, you know, there's so many different types of stories that yeah. I can share, but yeah. this experience has stuck with me for such a long time because I found it really funny. <laughs> yeah. And and now you can yeah. say, like, as part of your job resume that you yeah, set on i I've set in <laughs> P, right? And yeah. just for the, like, for my patient. I think that's, that's very good. And I... I, I I think thanks for sharing this kind of, you know, funny type of stories. Yeah. It shows like, you know, on the job, there's a lot of mm. different kind of scenarios that would, you know, depends yeah. on the person. I think you're bubbly and positive, right? Mm. The fact that you sat on pee, some people will be like disgusted oh, no. <laughs> and yeah. make it like the worst thing ever in yeah. their career. And, but for you, you sort of like yeah. adapted and capitalized on that. You saw him smiling and then it became one of the yeah. uh, breakthroughs yeah. that you could have a very successful assessment. Mm -hmm. So I think it also showcases that what kind of person you are mm. and the mindset of approaching things really affects yeah. the outcome. Yeah. And I also want to touch the point that, you know, you did mention like one of the biggest upside is to find something that you're very satisfied doing. Mm. Right. So I, I think, uh, yes, I, I I think that's what the end goal. It's very important to find something that 
at least you don't hate. Yeah. But you love doing that's really a big plus. Yeah. Yeah, and we're all going through that process as a as a young adult, whether we've dived into a career or industry um, that we're in. I think what I've took away like from you is like okay, job satisfaction is important. Mm. It's important for me, but I think what I really like and hear from you is that you're not just satisfied of the job. You're actually more a part of their life and seeing mm. the whole. So it's really not just satisfaction anymore. It's really the value that you provide to society. There's some yeah. sort of impact that you do that. So I really think like, okay, if you think about work and finding fulfillment, that's also very uh, an interesting perspective. Like if you can find some ways to really uh, story tell to yourself or internalize that, oh, you're helping a customer grow their business and see what kind of impact. Yeah. So I think... It's really like from your sharing, I just couldn't help but think like it's important to have this kind of notion or yeah. mindset to to everything that you do, because there's gonna be some sort of impact that your current work Can is driving to society. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, to add value, right, to yeah. the people that you encounter. Yeah. whatever job you do, I think yeah. you can do that. Yeah. yeah. So that was upsides, right? <laughs> what about yeah. the downsides or uh, challenges that you yeah. know you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. about the industry overall or like down to mm. a specific experience yeah yeah i mean like every job there's always downsides right and yeah. not just in the job but in life right yeah so i think some downsides specifically when you're working with the elderly population is yeah. they may never get back their function um and mm. they may end up also passing away yeah. uh, and you have built that relationship and you have to have that strength to not just support the family, but also like have have that strength to carry on, lah, right? Because you invest in a patient and you want them to do well, but yeah. they may never end up doing well, right? They may never end up swallowing again, or they may actually end up dying, right? Because yeah. of their other medical conditions. So that's yeah. one thing that I really found very, very tough in the beginning, because as a naive, like, you know, fresh grad, where you see everything is like so great and you think like, wow, I'm going to help all these people. Yeah. And, and whatever you do, no matter how much you try and do it, it actually doesn't help, right? And actually there's so many other things that and many other factors that contribute. Yeah, so that, that's one of the biggest downsides. Um, the other thing also is that, I mean, you don't get paid a lot lah, as a speech therapist, right? So you don't okay. go into the job thinking that this You're is going to be... Yeah. <laughs> your wealth or pot of gold yeah. from this. Yeah, it is really something that um, is a very fixed kind of like salary and your pay scale and that is something that you have to get used to, right? Depending on the lifestyle that you yep. have. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think the last thing is also managing uh, a lot of different expectations. And I think I shared that with you yep. as well, right? Is that speech therapy is like you said very niche very new not many people know about it yeah. um, and it's advocating for the profession uh, mm. and trying at the same time justifying yourself right so yeah. sometimes I also feel like because people don't know about it they look down on it or you know they talk about it like oh is it really does it really work they're very skeptical about yeah. it right there is a lot of evidence behind it but people don't know right you need to prove yourself yeah. all the time right and what's yeah. the value Correct. that you can provide through the process right yeah and people are not trusting of that then yeah. they end up just distrusting it and you feel very like it, it impacts your self-esteem yeah so yeah. those are the downsides some of them and just touching upon like guess i think i've had um i think everyone have went through like some close friend or mm. family members going through death right mm. so i think in your industry especially you really love to deal with elderly people right so mm. at the like what you rightly mentioned right like it comes as part of the job so how do you deal with all that you mentioned like initially you struggle a lot yeah um and mm. it mustn't be easy because at one point like 
I don't know, like for me, it's just a weird feeling. Like on one day, you can be spending time with someone. Yeah. And one day, like they're gone, and then you're like, yeah. oh, you you sort of never said. Obviously, it's like a profession and you treat yeah. them, but you you sort of build like that personal touch. And once yeah. once you know someone personally, and then they're gone, it's just a very weird um, feeling. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I remember specifically how I felt when my first patient actually passed away. Yeah. So I was that the toughest, or yeah, it was it was a shock to me because yeah. I've never experienced it before. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know it sounds very naive yeah. to say that, yeah. but yeah. So when I first started working in the hospital, like in a hospital, everyone's very very ill, right? That's why yeah. they're staying in the hospital. And I built quite a a very nice relationship with this patient. Um, she had a lot of mm, uh, problems, but she was yeah. very lucid. And this is very important in a patient because some patients that come in, they're not lucid. They cannot talk mm. to you, right? But mm-hmm. she was conversing with me. Like she knew my name every time I came to see her. We had a very nice relationship. And the day before that, I had saw I saw her. We had a great time. And then the next day, she, you know, I went to look for her at her bed because like it was time for her review, yep. and she was gone. Like it was just like what? Like are you serious? Like yeah. wow, what happened? Like right? Um, and what? What really helped me was, you know, the co- my colleagues, obviously, right? Yep. They've all been through it many times. Yep. And it's not that you get used to it, but you start to realize that you're not, you're not looking to just help them, but you're also making the times that you have with them count. So yeah. because we meet so many people in a day, yep. and sometimes it can be very tiring because, for example, if I'm seeing seven, eight patients in one day, they can just become a number, right? And yeah. you're not making it personal anymore because you need to get through your list. You want to yeah. get through the day. You want to make sure that you see all your patients on time. But what one of my colleagues told me is like, and which I really hold to my heart right now, and I want, I forever hope that I will never lose this, yeah. is whatever time that I have spent with this patient, I want them to know that this time is theirs and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to try and make it as personal as possible for them at that time. Yeah. So even if that's the most limiting time that they have and they might end up going the next day, at least the encounter that I have with them counts, yeah. right? And wow. if it be like the swallowing, right? Like at least, you know, I managed to give them a drink before they pass away. Like that's yeah. how I comfort myself. Yeah. But I think also it helped me in my profession to get used to the fact that, yeah, not everyone is going to recover. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, it's all about finding a methodology or framework or personal like I think mm, this is like one of your right? yeah. philosophy or principle that you mm. have got from uh, one of your colleagues that have went through yeah and I think it's a very humble and also shows like yeah it's very caring like you mm. want to provide the best kind of service and make sure that even though it's the last time yeah that they are in the comfort of someone's hand and they get the full attention and yeah. I think this can be applied to Anything. Like, I think yeah, yeah, anything in life, right? Yeah. Of course, more so in like a uh, very uh, frontline, customer-facing kind mm. of thing. But if you think about any roles that you do, right? If every conversation that we have with a particular stakeholder in whatever industry yes. you have, yes. oh my God, I can imagine life will be so much more beautiful that way. But of course, <laughs> yeah. that's the optimal world. But thanks yeah. for sharing um, that kind of uh, personal uh, experience and, mm. and story. Um, and I, I think like uh, I think we're like just to you know run through two more points before we close the podcast. So I think we mentioned a bit about oh COVID have changed yeah many different industries yes. and we also thought thought about there could be good opportunities downsides. Yeah, maybe you can share you know how COVID have actually helped accelerated uh, mm. opportunities for you and what are some of the the downsides? Yeah, you can just, yeah and we can see yeah how it goes right. Yeah. yeah, I think when COVID first hit, it was a shock to 
a lot of frontliners in, yeah. in, in the hospital setting. Um, I was working for a hospital, but I was going in the community at that time. This and was back in UK? In or the UK. UK. So okay. I was actually working in the UK when COVID happened. Um, in London, actually. So I just accepted yeah. a new role. Uh, and it was a... In Kent, right? Uh, I remember. Yeah, no, yeah. I was in Kent at first. And then I moved to London. Okay. Yeah. So then I just started in London and then COVID hit. Okay. Um, and... You know, there was a lack of PPE. There was like a lot of like stress in the NHS. PPE for those that uh, don't don't remember, it's like protective personal personal protective oh, equipment. Okay, I'm mm. not actually yeah, PPE yeah. for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very stressful because as the NHS, right, you already yeah. have so much stress. Um, on top of that, you have this like pandemic happening. Yeah. And actually, it does affect speech therapists a lot because uh, COVID is a respiratory problem. Yeah. Which affects your breathing which will affect your swallowing and yep. will affect your speech and your voice. So mm. we actually had a huge influx of like referrals okay. um, at that time, but there was not enough PPE. There's not enough knowledge about COVID at yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, and as speech therapists, you know, we're not doctors. <laughs> we, we also need to know like what's going on, right? And um, yeah, it was very tough at the time. Um, and I was working uh, every day and I found it very, very difficult because uh, all the things that I enjoyed about my job became very scary to me. Um, yeah. and very stressful. So that's what happened at first. Then, of course, gradually when things started, uh, you understand more about the condition, there's vaccinations and things like that. And yep. amidst all that, I actually moved back to Malaysia yep. and I started working for the private clinic here, right, in Malaysia. Um, so we did things like online therapy, which is very new. It's not something that is very, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely new. So it's definitely something that happened because of COVID. And as a result of that, we are actually I'm actually seeing patients like, outside of Malaysia and I no longer just narrow down the people that I see to just the community that I'm in. Um, so yeah, it definitely accelerated in that sense um, and people can get access to therapy wherever they are depending on the condition obviously, right? Some is not, you're not able to do it online then you won't, yeah? But definitely it helped me change my perspective as a speech therapist that I don't just need to see the patient physically, we can actually do things online, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of, uh, yeah, obviously, there's always two sides of a coin yeah mm. initially people will just react there's a lot of bad things yeah and yeah but on the flip side there's a lot of opportunities that can come up from it and mm. i think just to yeah because i, I look at the time yeah i just want to like cut like not it's yeah, an interesting conversation yeah but i think like just one last point on yourself that you know what have really stayed true to yourself mm. that really have helped you through that journey that you wanted to share to you know the people out there yeah um i think we kind of touched on it already yep. but definitely one of the things that really helped me is my faith right mm. and my trust in like god yep. and i i believe that um he helped give me that strength yeah but i think very important is that philosophy where you make yep. every moment yep. count yep. with every person that you meet yeah yep. that changes your perspective yeah i yep. completely resonate it could be mm. faith it could be a particular philosophy that you stay down to earth, mm. but you need to anchor mm. your support system or mindset to yeah. something. It could be family. It could be friends. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So hopefully this episode with Karini was helpful and you've got like a lot of insights around, you know, speech therapy, this whole industry, the process, the challenges that you uh, will be facing if you do end up. But there's definitely a lot of upsides and yeah, I think if, if you'll be interested, I think I'll drop like Karini's details <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I think do stay tuned to the second part because I think it's also more on, you know, Karini have experiences of working abroad mm. and then she decided to come back to her local country in Malaysia. But that could be the case for anyone wanting to work abroad. 
Yeah. yeah so I think we'll uh, do stay tuned for the second part with Karini. And once again, thanks very much for your time. And thank you, Karini, yeah. for sharing such a personal uh, and insightful Ex- mm. um, insightful story about this whole speech therapy. I've learned a lot. Yeah, and I'm sure the guests will too. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye bye.